And so there are a lot of different views, are there not, on what heaven is, or hell. Last week we talked about hell, the truth about hell. I think we probably had some, a few less people there last Sunday uh, than this Sunday. Uh, but we uh, want to talk about uh, heaven, the truth about heaven. And, um, my goal isn't to give you my opinion, it never is my goal on a Sunday morning, but to show you what does scriptures say uh, about this. And so I'm going to be looking into Revelation chapter 22 uh, as our primary text uh, this morning uh, to find some of these answers. But before we get into this, I want to encourage us to uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Um, he, can, he can provide a little bit of heaven for us in our own heart and mind. As Jesus himself taught us to pray to let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're going to ask for that to be accomplished in our heart this morning in our life. Um, I'm of the thought and belief that this time together in worship, being with one another, under the name of Christ, learning about scripture, it is a spiritual activity that though we're here, we're doing a very physical God is doing spiritual things in our heart and life as we're here. Uh, and so consequently, uh, prayer is an essential part of this. So I invite you to join me as we seek the Lord's direction in prayer. Amen. I just want to encourage you as we are hoping to have another trip go to East Asia and Puga County. Uh, we're going to have a meeting uh, I believe in the bulletin you'll note about that, I believe uh, first Sunday of May, that uh, evening time. Uh, we'll have some people who have gone, share reports, for those of you who've been praying for them specifically, love for you to come, and if you're interested in the next trip, uh, that would be a great time to come as well, to know some of the details. I bring that out because I read a story this past week uh, of an um, incident that happened in East Asia, China specifically. Um, says a Christian woman's faithful and defiant stance in front of a bulldozer last week evoked the memory of Tiananmen Square and has become a rallying cry against persecution at the hands of the Beijing government. The woman was identified by Christian activists as Ding Kumei, who's the wife of a pastor there, was trying to stop a government-ordered demolition of a church uh, in, uh, in central China there. Unlike the iconic man who brazenly stopped a tank in the 1989 uprising, Ding was pushed into a ditch and buried alive as horrified congregants watched helplessly. Bury them alive for me, a member of the demolition team said, and I will be responsible for their lives. The grim incident underscores the Chinese government's increasing persecution of religious minorities Thousands of churches across the country have been demolished in the past year. Dozens of pastors have been arrested on trumped-up corruption charges, according to nonprofit groups that monitor the situation. There's a time where they, the Christians, were being recognized as productive members of society. The government treated them fairly. The president of the advocacy group Open Doors told news. But that has changed, and China has the goal of nationalizing Christians. A little more than 5% of China's 1.4 billion people are believed to be Christians. And so there's a, an effort where they're trying to remove the crosses off the buildings across the area. 
as well as forcing pastors to meet weekly with local officials to explain their sermons each week. It's had a chilling effect on religious freedoms in China. Now just think about that, and as well as the multitude of other accounts of Christians dying. I remember uh, reading a report of Rome, and part of the reason for the rapid spread of Christians uh, in early Rome, and one of the historians remarked that part of it was due to how they uh, treated other people in uh, area-wide plagues that impacted the Roman Empire. These plagues were very contagious diseases and sicknesses where the physicians would leave uh, for their own life. But the Christians remained to care for those impacted and the impact. Of course, many Christians died uh, in the care of taking care of the, uh, the sick, but it made a significant impact on them. And this historian uh, was writing about one physician's observations and, and contributed to what the Christians believed about what happens to them when they die. And because of their belief of a heaven, it freed them to serve sacrificially. Whereas this physician that was making these observations did not believe in afterlife and therefore would require much more courage to be in a spot of sacrifice and thus left. A thought crossed my mind when I had a young mother uh, come and want to talk to me. Her son wants to meet with me sometime. Uh, her son is in high school, is in the military program, and is wanting to uh, enlist, getting ready to sign up in the, uh, through the ROTC. But with that, has started thinking seriously about death and salvation. And he wanted to meet with me and talk about salvation. Why? Well, because the thing called death and what happens when we die. And so, when we are thinking about heaven, and specifically Revelation chapter 22, in which I'm going to gather a text from today, this was all given for a reason. The book of Revelation was given uh, to Jewish Christians, predominantly, but Christians across the board, that will be going through severe hardships. And so when the book of Revelation was recorded, it's a revelation of Jesus. What's going to happen at the end to encourage the Christians and what will be happening in the near future? So consequently, you'll have a pastor's wife in China who will make a stand for her church even though a bulldozer bulls her over. That's why Christians are to be different and the fact of the matter that we have this sense of we don't go certain places because it's dangerous for a Christian, that fear of going to places like that is really strange for Christians over church history. And I know that may be predominant in our society today, but I just want to present to you from Scripture and from historical records of Christians, this fear that keeps us from sharing the gospel, going to dangerous places, is really unusual and not natural for the Christian. So, what is behind us? And so, let's go to Revelation chapter 22. At, at, at this point in chapter 22, the...
going to be the state of people who die. We're going to talk about that next week, Lord willing. Uh, the truth about dying. Uh, and so, uh, guys, the battery's dead here, so I don't, <clears throat> I'm not getting anything here. Just to let you guys know that. I think you're kind of looking around, figuring out what's going on. Um, and so, this is a description of at the end. When it's all said and done, what will life look like? And so, as we read this, let's stand in honor of this being God's word, Revelation chapter 22, and really just focusing on the first five verses, though there's much more here, obviously. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with his twelve kinds of fruit, yielding his fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer were there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You may be seated. And the first two verses is this image of the river of the water of life. This is a familiar theme we've seen first uh, uh, throughout Scripture. We see it in Psalm 46, uh, verse 4, where it talks about there is a stream that makes glad the city of God. Uh, we have allusions to this. Uh, in Ezekiel 47. Uh, and so when we see the river of the water of life and what it's here for, for the healing of the nations, I would present to you that first, living before the throne, which is where John is at, this description of life is before the throne room of God. Living before the throne means living with complete satisfaction. Complete satisfaction with the rivers of the water of life flowing through. In Ezekiel 47, it tells of biological life in this river. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 and 9, says it speaks of harmony of animals under the reign of Christ. So it could very well be that there is biological life to some degree uh, here in this throne room of heaven. And some people will often wonder, well, is uh, my uh, pet so-and-so uh, going to be in heaven? I do not know the answer if your specific pet is going to be in heaven. It may be determined by your pet. <laughs> Could be hell if your pet's there. I don't know. Uh, but I would say that scripture does speak of life in heaven, animal life. After all, it is that Jesus is riding on a white horse as he is coming and as pictured in Revelation. So there does seem to be some biological life to some degree, uh, though I do not know if it is necessarily your pet. Uh, and that's beyond the, what the scripture has to say. Uh, but in uh, seeing uh, this harmony of animals that is under the reign of Christ, but either side of the river are, according to Ezekiel, 40, uh, uh, Ezekiel 47, uh, either side of the river are rows of trees, which are rooted in the river of life. And so these trees are growing forth from this river of life. 
And according to the scripture, they have 12 fruits on these trees. Every month is bearing fruit. The idea that is continually uh, fruit bearing, an unending blessing. Uh, since there's really no concept of time anymore, uh, there's no, no idea of months anymore because you are in heaven. But there is unending blessings that is occurring through these trees of life. And then the scripture says the leaves are for the healing of nations. And that's the plural form of that word. Uh, so it is the right to eat of it comes from chapter 22, verse 14, as well as chapter 2, verse 7. That there are those who are granted the right to eat from this tree of life, which brings healing of the nations. And so when we think of scripture, of what it says about heaven, a lot of times we think of it as this alternate place. Okay. Uh, in fact, you kind of heard some of the people talk about it. It's, it's somewhere out there. Uh, there's alternate place that is happening. But when you read in Scripture, it's not so much an alternate place as it is a rehabilitation uh, of a whole new way of living in earth. Okay. And so it's pictured as the glory of God coming down, the atmosphere of God's glory coming and rehabbing, remaking, renewing life. And so what is we know of this life is passed away, but now there is a new way of living on this earth. And so when we talk about what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God now, there is going to be very much the Spirit of God working to renew and rehabilitate my spirit, my body, as well as society itself. And that's where Christians come in, that we are rehabilitating through the Spirit of God, society around us. And so that's why you see in Scripture where the plural form of, of church, in other words, you plural are the salt of the earth. It's not just us individually, but us together as a society. We are working together to impact Nightdale. Uh, and so Nightdale's influence uh, and spiritual atmosphere is largely determined by churches working together to show the light of Christ. And so one day, Christ is going to come, and heaven is the complete renewal of all these things that we see on this, on this earth. And we're going to look at that a little bit more specific. But when we see this idea of healing coming from this tree of life, it's, it's kind of that saying that you've heard, that earth has no sorrow, that heaven cannot heal. All our senses will be made alive with the stimulants of heaven. All of our senses will be made alive with the stimulant of heaven. And so uh, a lot of times we think about uh, people, you know, you got the, the, the harp. I don't know why harp, but there's always a harp. There's a cloud and there's some angel playing the harp. Um, I think that would be pretty, uh, but, you know, it's not necessarily uh, what the scripture is teaching about heaven. Uh, when you're looking at the physical senses that God has given to you, have you ever thought that God has made you for himself? God has made you for his glory. God has made you for heaven itself. We learned last week that hell was made for Satan. It's just that there are those who have said to God, okay, my will be done, not you, and we follow Satan. So hell was made for God. Heaven, though, well, was made for, uh, hell was made for Satan. Heaven was made for God and those who are in him. And so our physical senses are at his best in the glory of God. So I remember this hit me one time when I, I kind of like adrenaline uh, experiences just a little bit. I'm, it's part of a guy thing, I think, uh, me specifically. I, I enjoy uh, certain things. I, I uh, saw a picture of someone skydiving and I thought, yeah, I'd do that. 
Um, you know, there's, there's little things like that where some of us are like, oh, no, 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 no. There's a part of me that's like, yes, 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 I'd like to do that. And I thought, well, you know, what is heaven? Uh, if, if I understand that, if this is part of how God's made me with these desire for excitement, I'm not disappointed in heaven. You ever thought about that? Heaven is an, an exciting experience that will continue on. Uh, and so the, the physical senses that I've got, all of our senses will be made alive with the stimulus of heaven. It's amazing if we think about it today. We are amazed at rainbows, aren't we? And we, see that we never, get, never gets old seeing a rainbow. Lightning. And you know, we're, I think I heard thunder the other day. I'm thinking summertime's coming. There's some things I, you know, just enjoy the summer nights in the car and seeing a lightning storm way off. Well, you know, but it's just our, our senses enjoy things. Roman candles, fireworks. I mean, we get amazed. Like, Ooh, you know, and we, we see these things. Uh, but then we we have such astounding at great ditches. At ditches like the Grand Canyon. And you know, we're like, wow, look at that massive ditch. It's just this Grand Canyon just blows our mind. I, I, God allowed me one time to, to go into to Kenya, and the, I was coming down Nairobi, and I saw the Great Rift Valley spread out in front of me. It just blew my mind. Just, I cannot believe the things that we see. I was able to go to the Redwood Forest one time and see these massive trees. They're just all around. Uh, you know, find out that the moon has these massive holes in the, in the moon. We get amazed at plants that eat flies. Is it? You know, I, you, we would sit down and watch a plant eat a fly in a Venus flytrap. Isn't it amazing how the things of this earth will just absolutely astound us from time to time as we study them? All I'm going to say to you is that is a earth that is cursed by sin that we are astounded by. Imagine how much more it is in heaven when we have God's source to Give us healing for our nations, our people, our souls, our bodies, and that all of this atmosphere we're breathing is the glory of God. Our senses will come alive at the glory of God. When we refer to uh, Genesis 3, verse 22, uh, it tells us that there was a tree of knowledge. You know what I've noticed here? In Revelation 22 is often... Uh, harkens back to the Garden of Eden. The tree of life was in the, tree, in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is found right here um, that flows and grows out of the water of life, the river of the water of life. But interesting enough, there is no more a tree of knowledge of good and evil in heaven. Why? There's no more testing required. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was provided by God for mankind to give them a test. Is God enough? And we failed miserably. God is not enough for us to determine what is good. We must separate ourselves from God. And now that's the consequences that we live in. In heaven, that tree has been removed. No more. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, Jesus says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? You, you see the connection here, right? River of the water of life in heaven. 
Jesus saying, out of me will flow waters of life. That is a reference to the Holy Spirit. If we desire heaven, we must also at the same time desire the Holy Spirit in our life. This idea of, I want to be in heaven where God reigns, and yet at the same time, I want to do what I want to do, forget what God says, is at such a contradiction at its core. And if you continue down this road of, I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of what God says, death is frightening. Because it is the end of it. But if in this life, you experience the life of the Holy Spirit working in us through our submission to Him, our confession to Him, our humbly uh, uh, surrendering of our heart to Him, then heaven is a wonderful place because we've seen the joy of it. So living before the throne means living with complete satisfaction that we look toward as opposed to just finding it here. And that's the problem where most of us are trying to find complete satisfaction in family, in a job, in a car, or in a legacy of some sort, in our house. We're trying to find complete satisfaction here. Every spring we go to the WRL Gardens. Beautiful this time of year. Now the azaleas is past, past their prime. But we always like to go during the azalea season and... Um, we just, you know, we walk around and enjoy it, and then our family being what we are, we play hide-and-go-seek uh, in, uh, in the gardens. We go when not everyone's there, you know, because that would be a little uh, irritating, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, that's what we do. We play hide-and-go-seek, and, and, and it, as beautiful it is, it's, it's nice only just to visit. But what if I decide, you know, I like the garden so much, I'm just going to spend the night here. I'm going to bring my little tent or my hammock, and I'm going to sit up right there with the azaleas all around me. I'm going to create my own little spot where I'm just going to stay here for the month of April. If you come to visit the WRL Gardens, would it be as beautiful? <laughs> no. It'd be a little messed up and maybe smelly. I mean, it's just been ruined. Because the WRL Gardens was meant to be visited. Just travel through, enjoy the sights, but don't live here. You see, this world is at its best when we're visiting it, when we're traveling through, but don't make our home here. Don't get complete satisfaction or try to seek it out of here. You're just going to mess it up. It becomes something horrible, something sickening. When we try to find our identity out of our family, we try to find our identity out of some man or woman, we try to find life out of some creation, it messes it up. We keep on reading there, we go to verse 3, Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and Lamb will be in it. Living before the throne means living with no burden of curse. This is the exact reversal of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. To a woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And this is, I believe, speaking to marital disharmony that will happen. 
To Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so nature itself is working against us. That has been reversed. Man or woman are working against one another. Now that is being reversed. Even giving life is a painful thing. And so the very things we depend on are the very sources of pain. And now the Bible is saying these things are reversed. No longer will there be anything accursed. I think about this and the curse that's in my body and my spirit. In fact, that there's sin present in my life. I try to pray and end up instead thinking about all the people I need to email or call. And then I fall asleep. And this struggle of just pursuing Christ and being plagued by the sin of our life is no more. It's not to be. When we think about what has been brought on because of sin, diseases, and death, there should be a healthy hatred that we have of disease. If you don't hate cancer, then you've just haven't been touched by it. But there should be a hatred of cancer. There should be a hatred of alcoholism. There should be a hatred of the various addictions that we endure. There should be a hatred of the injustices that we see in our society. All of these things are symptoms of men rebelling against God and sin. They're curse. Revelation chapter 22, it is telling us there shall be no more curse. There will be, no longer will be anything a curse. No longer will anything be tainted by the impact of sin. You know what I, I think this means? There's no longer aging. <laughs> There's the amens. Wait, cancer, no, no, aging, all right. <laughs> no, this is a part of deterioration, is it not? It is a slow march to death that happens because of sin. These things are removed. So living before the throne means living with no burden of curse. We keep on reading he says, verse 3, but the throne of God and Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, will worship him. This idea of serving him is, is behind this, or reigning with him. You see this, verse 5, uh, that they will reign forever and ever. So what does worship and what does service and what does reigning look like? Well, I don't know all the details, but I will tell you that it involves action. This is an active time for the followers of God. We'll be acting with him and serving and worshiping. That whatever we do, we'll be doing with a lasting impact to bring glory to God. Now that encompasses all kinds of things here on this earth. It involves your hobbies, maybe woodworking or cooking. Uh, it involves you're doing your work of your house. It involves singing. It involves your, you may be working in information services or organizations. A lot of different things that it involves to bring glory to God. 
But the thing about it here is that when we do it here, we have to redo it and redo it. And we're constantly fighting against the effects of this nature. All right? There in heaven, it is a meaningful work that nature no longer is working against, that we no longer work in vain. So this was my appeal to my mom whenever she wanted me to make up my bed. It is a vain thing you asked me to do, mother. If I make up my bed, I only have to make it up again. I don't care. Do it anyway. That's the lot I live because I live in a sin-impacted world. I have to redo everything. I remember it hit me very hard uh, when I was working on sermons, and I had probably several months worth of sermons and my computer crashed and this was before the, all the backup sessions on the cloud and everything else I lost months of sermons that moment when it hit me <laughs> it's just a despairing moment but what can you do when your work gets totally undone it happens in this world I go by my grandfather's uh, land where he lived, immaculate garden that he'd had, fruitful, beautiful flowers, his house is there, and now when you go by, there is not an evidence whatsoever that a house was ever there, and it's only been 10 years. <laughs> it's just woods. How quickly it gets reversed. Here... Now, when we talk about serving God, worshiping Him, reigning forever and ever with Him, it is an assignment of activity that has eternal significance, not just a temporal impact. So living before the throne means living with meaningful work. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 speaks to those saints who will be uh, holding authority and judging over the angels. And so there's some level of activity that God has given to us. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ is reversing the curse. When you are in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, God is constantly at work to reverse the curse in our life. Whether it's in your marriage, if you surrender the Spirit of God, or whether in your body. So when you are working in obedience to Jesus Christ, though the world forgets, if you're doing it for the glory of God, God is remembering and you don't have to write your name on a stone i, I was reading uh watching some news this past week of uh i think maybe uh in one of the raleigh cemeteries they're having a natural cemetery and the woman had the idea of you know I, I look forward to the idea of my body uh turning into a tree and i forgot what dogwood tree or something like that um i thought well that's kind of a nice sentiment um you know your body Sort of nice, I guess. Um, <laughs> fertilizing uh, a tree and that you turn into a flower. But I've seen a lot of trees get torn down in just a hurry. And I think if that's your hope, if that's your, your legacy is that you turn into a tree, well, that's great until the next storm comes. All these things that we get, even writing your name on a stone in a, in a cemetery somewhere is not the same impact as what could be when you are doing something in the glory of God that God remembers forever. Did you know that your prayers are more eternal than anything else that you can do? The Bible describes in heaven where your prayers are being collected before God. You may expire, but your prayers do not. So do something that outlasts you. 
Living before the throne means living with no burden. Curse means living with meaningful work. But then we keep on reading, living before the throne means living with divine intimacy. Verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Living before the throne means a divine intimacy that we cannot get to in this life. But you shall see his face as a way of saying there's a full intimacy that's going on right here with Jesus Christ. And then this name, his name, will be on their foreheads. A lot of us find that a little bit horrifying. We have this vision of a tattoo on our forehead. It doesn't quite uh, make us very excited. Um, the idea here, though, is that you are marked by God, that you belong to him. I have, uh, uh, my wife gave me a, a gift one time as an embosser. Really cool. So I, I have a book, put some pages in, press down, and it stamps within it, impresses within the page my name. So that when it goes out, everyone knows, oh, okay, that's, okay, that's Jared's book. But it's just a way of showing relationship. Do you know what your chief identity and really the only identity that matters? My identity isn't that I'm a man or that I'm a pastor or that I'm a husband or that I'm a father or that I'm a worker in some degree or that I'm an American. That is not a lasting identity. If I strive for these things, they will fail me. I think about we just did black belt testing uh, in Taekwondo that I've been taking and, and we just did the third dawn, third degree, and, and people are all excited about that. And, but that's not a lasting identity. That's not going to satisfy. The only thing that will satisfy is simply this. I belong to Jesus. That's it. I belong to Jesus. And so when you have this, this name written on the forehead, it is simply saying for eternity, you belong to me. We've got the greatest, the one of which... The universe revolves around that, that in him everything is held together. It was made by him and for him. And he has our name, his name, on us. I belong to the greatest that can ever be. And so there is this sense of divine intimacy. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Behold what man of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the sons of God. And we don't know what will be from this point on, but one thing we do know, that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So what does that mean? Don't get more comfort out of secondary identities. Don't let that be your glory. Don't let it be your glory that you're a third don. Don't let it be your glory that you're a supervisor. Don't let it be your glory that you're a husband or wife, that you're a father, or that you're a child of some degree. Don't let it be your glory that you've got some financial status. That's not your glory. That's subpar. Our glory is in Christ and Christ alone. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be loved. 
fully, completely. Talked to a guy and he's telling about his, his sister and so bitter and angry because the husband left her and she's been raising up her child on her own. And so she just can't get past this bitterness that's there. Why is this bitter such there? The bitterness is such degree because of the expectation that she had that a man could fix it. And as long as her expectation was so high that a man could fix and make her life complete and that man fails so the bitterness is as great as her expectation. The intimacy that she's longing for was never to be found in a man. It's to be found in Jesus Christ. Living before the throne means living with divine intimacy. And then meaning living with uh, living before the throne means living with the eternal security that Jesus embosses his name on us. And then in verse 5, that night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Living before the throne means living with heavenly light. This is the glory of God. The atmosphere that we're breathing. We're just breathing God's creation. The atmosphere. The sun. And that which has been impaired mightily by sin itself. Ever since the flood came, you saw the lifespan of mankind decrease. But what must it be when we're not breathing just oxygen, which is secondary. We're breathing the pure glory of God primary what we see we see because of God see that's how sunlight is we just don't see sunlight it is by which we see everything is it not see the glory of God we just don't see glory of God it is through the glory of God that we see everything else and things are brought to our attention living before the throne means living with heavenly light we have uh, one of our sons, our youngest sons. About every day, he comes down in the morning and says, Today, are we going on vacation? <laughs> you know how disheartening it is to tell him, No, sons, <laughs> we're not going on vacation today. But he's got his bags packed, just in case. I said, well, where do you want to go on your vacation? I want to go to the beach. Okay, all right. Well, I'm sure someday we'll go to the beach. He uh, got to spend the night at Grandma and Granddad's this past week. He was so excited because he could use his bag. He didn't want to come home. He wanted to stay six days. Always yearning. Living for a vacation. <laughs> You know, when I read Revelation 22, it makes me want to get my bags packed. To understand the delights in this world are great, but nothing to be compared with for what's coming. And the tragedies and grievances of this life are severe, but nothing too devastating that heaven can't heal. In fact, somehow, the devastations of this life makes the glories of heaven even greater. The psalmist wrote, deliver my life from men of this world who have their portion in this life and whose bellies are filled with this treasure. They're satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possessions for the babes. As for me, 
I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Psalm chapter 17, verse 15. When we read about heaven and study it, God gave it so that we would get strength to live this life, but that we would live for heaven. And that we would have no problem whatsoever sacrificing for the glory of God. When we find ourselves reluctant to sacrifice, it may be that heaven is not very much with us. But let me warn you, if you don't seek God's intimacy today, if you don't seek him in the Bible, if you don't seek him in prayer, you don't look for him in the life around you, don't think you're going to enjoy heaven. That's not the heart. If I was to say to you, if you go to heaven, you will see your loved one. You'll see your loved spouse that's gone before. you see your child. You'll see your parents. But you won't get God. Would you still want to go? You see, heaven is not about seeing those who've gone before us. Heaven is about seeing God. Because the greatest joy we get is God. And the joy we got from family members and loved ones were just shadows of God. Now, if they're in Christ, yes, we'll be rejoicing the Lord together. But when we're in God's presence... We're not looking past God so we can see our loved one that's gone on before. But you might look past them to see the one who's the source of it all. Because we're looking for God. Heaven is the atmosphere of those who will seek God. So Jesus prays. Let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray.